You're listening to On Development, a podcast of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, or MCC. MCC is an independent United States government international development agency whose mission is reducing poverty through economic growth. In part two of MCC Deputy Chief Executive Officer Alexia Latortu's conversation with Dr. Donald Kabaruka, renowned economist and co-chair of the United Nations Secretary General's high-level panel on internal displacement, the focus turns to private sector investment, the African continental free trade area, and how increased regional integration can promote inclusive economic growth on the continent. You've talked about trade a fair bit already, and I want to—I would like to come back to this issue of trade um, with you as well. So, Alexa, here we are. Uh, all nations around the world were poor at some point. They overcome poverty by access to trade and uh, capital markets. There's no third way. That's how it happened. Now, uh, at the moment, uh, Africa's share of global trade is what it is. It's uh, two, two and a half percent. The nature of trade over the last 30 years, a dramatic change in terms of the supply chains, uh, is something which uh, we all know about. But Africa is still operating at very low levels of the value chains, at primary commodity levels. So the challenge for us in Africa is how to move up the ladder of the global value chains. Now, it takes a lot of things, uh, but one thing which will be required is to deepen and to expand Africa's own domestic market. Uh, we all say we celebrate achievements so far. Uh, this is a continent of the future in terms of the demographics, the big trends, but the markets are still shallow. And therefore, the decision taken uh, here in Kigali uh, two years ago to launch the Africa continental free trade area was exactly the right thing. It's about trade, it's about investment, it's about jobs. Now, I must say that there's a figure which is often uh, quoted that the intra-African trade is less than 12%. Uh, I just want to nuance that figure and link it with the CFTA. It so actually happens that in some parts of Africa, like ECOWAS and the Eastern African region, intra-regional trade had actually gone up very quickly to almost Southeast Asian levels, about 26, 27%. Uh, as a result of lowering tariffs, improved infrastructure, improved policy harmonization. Indeed, in some parts of Africa, we're no longer talking about an FTA, a free trade area. Some have gone to customs union, some have gone to economic union, even to monetary union that are further developed. So we're talking about a CFTA, but some regions have actually gone further already. Each in course, where they have the, a monetary union, and here in the region where I'm from, where we've got a customs union. Therefore, we're building on some things which exist. But we have two parts of Africa, the North and Central African region, where intra-regional trade is very, very low. Less than 2% in North Africa, less than 2% in Central African region. And 
As a result, it brings down the African average to 12%. That's why you always hear this figure. And the reason the Central African region is low is because it's largely oil dependent. Uh, the average amount of oil, which is the export. And therefore, it's an export basically driven enclave economies. North Africa is much more challenging. It's not lack of infrastructure. It is some other issues uh, which are in the political space. So we have learned a lot in Africa about how to expand trade investment opportunities in particular regions. The idea of the CFTA is now to generalize these lessons across Africa and expand that market space so that an investor wanting to set up a vaccine manufacturing uh, center in Rwanda, in Senegal, or in South Africa, knows that they will have access to the entire market of Africa. This is what it means. Because we then have space, we have depth in terms of skills, in terms of access to capital to make the investment happen. So it is something which is not about simply trade. It's about investment, it's about jobs, it's about opportunities, building on the success of regions like Yokoas and Comesa, where we have gone far, far ahead of the CFTA over the last decade and a half. No, exactly. And I think maybe for our listeners who may not be as familiar with the Africa continental free trade area, which indeed does build on all these existing um, um, regional um, you know, unions that you've described, let me just share a little bit of, of data um, on the Africa um, continental free trade agreement, um, uh, Dr. Kabaruka. So once fully ratified by member countries, my understanding is that it will create the largest free trade area in the world in terms of participating countries. It will include 55 um, African Union countries um, representing, according to the World Bank, 1.3 billion people and countries with a combined GDP of $3.4 trillion. And implementation began in earnest this year. And the World Bank estimates that increased trade and connectivity through the Africa continental free trade area has the potential to lift 30 million Africans out of extreme poverty and increase incomes for about 68 million others living on less than $5.5 a day. And I think importantly, the World Bank projects that these gains would not be limited to the wealthier countries in Africa. Projections indicate that poverty would be reduced across the continent with the biggest gains in countries with currently high poverty rates. So indeed, as you've said, Dr. Kamaruka, not just about trade, but about jobs, about livelihoods, about poverty reduction. And so my question to you is to deliver on these benefits that the World Bank outlined, to deliver on the promise of um, the CMTA, what, what, what is needed? What needs to happen? And what are the accompanying measures that are important? Thank you, Alexia. You know, for many of you, our listeners, who would be interested in economic history, I advise them to, to look at the experience of Germany and the so-called Zolvarelli. Germany, before it became Germany, we know, was actually a group of states, Bavaria, uh, Saxony, and others, with uh, different tariffs, different economic rules between the different states. Germany became, began to become a power 
once they actually did what they were trying to do here with the sovereign when they came together, right, from Germany. Same for the European Union. A country like Portugal and Spain were struggling up to the 70s when some of us were already in college. They are poor countries. But by coming together, uh, countries like Ireland, Portugal, and Spain uh, have been able to prosper immeasurably. It has been a winner for all of them. So what we're doing here is something which other parts of the world have gone through. Now, I must emphasize three things which are important for an organization like yours. Actually, tariffs are no longer the main problem. Tariffs have come down steadily across different parts of Africa. Tariffs vis-à-vis the outside world and tariffs among ourselves. So tariffs will continue to come down, but they're no longer the main issue. There's issue around uh, non-tariff restrictions, which are covered in the CFTA. There are things you have to do there. There's a whole range of what are these non-tariff barriers, and there's a roadmap for that. But in between, there are some fairly straightforward things we can do, which are so important and which require only one thing. Now, let me say this. For example, if you say there should be free movement of people and free settlement, that is a hard sell for some countries. So that might be, take some time. Because among the Europeans, it is causing them issues years after the Treaty of Rome. But there are things, for example, like the Yamusukro Agreement, allowing airlines of different African countries to land freely under higher degrees of freedom, which will bring down the cost of flying in Africa by 40%. It is true we don't have enough money to be the railways and highways and corridors, but we all have airports. But the problem is that the protectionism around uh, this inability to fly in different countries is uh, a huge opportunity cost for, for our countries. That requires nothing. It requires only political decision. After all, do you know there's a Middle Eastern airline whose name shall be kept, which flies into four or five cities in Nigeria. They fly to Lagos, to Abuja, to Enugu, to Port Harcourt, why can't we do the same among our own airlines and bring down the cost of uh, flying, the cost of uh, doing business? Let me touch another one, which is payment systems. Right now, if you are Ghanaian, want to buy goods from Kenya, you have to transit that through dollars. The trade will have to be done through dollars. And in the CFTA, there are provisions to engineer, to rekindle our payment systems and our clearing houses in a way that we actually trade using our own currencies. The African Import Export Bank is setting a mechanism to back our central banks to do that. This is not technically very difficult. It is legally a bit complex. Uh, we still need to do so to some extent via foreign currencies. But this would be, in my view, perhaps a third of the job we have to do. The African Development Bank, uh, at some point, was funding a project in West Africa uh, to try to get countries who are not in the CFA 
the Gambia, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Ghana, and Nigeria to have that kind of payment system among themselves and also the CFA countries. These are the kind of projects I really think development organizations should support. You know, digital platforms, payment systems, all right, which require only political decisions, but they're legally, technically uh, easy to do. It will take time to build all these uh, infrastructures, corridors, uh, I understand. But I do think there are a lot of soft uh, infrastructure things we have to work together and to uh, to make it easy for business people to, to work. And finally, I know this on Africa, they will be interesting to many of our listeners. That was a proposal made uh, by the President Kagame of Rwanda during the African Union reform on how to make it easy for African business people, bona fide travelers, to access the African Union passport. Why should somebody like Dangote, for heaven's sake, need visas to travel to countries where he invests? He's unlikely to be an immigrant uh, where he's going. So there was an idea that there'll be people who are bona fide travelers, uh, business people, investors, students, and they should have access to a travel document which enables them to travel across Africa without visas, settle in different countries. As we are doing in Rwanda, here in Rwanda, an African person can come without a visa. At the airport, they get a visa. They can settle, they can work. And the country has only benefited. But there are some countries because of small populations, their history, uh, they're a bit behind the line on this. But I do believe on this Africa, the, this idea of uh, uh, not total movement, but some degree of movement of business people, bona fide travelers, maybe with a unique travel documents, which I understand uh, our ministries of foreign affairs and internal affairs are working on in different countries. It matures very quickly. It will be a huge boost to the safety, but also it will connect the safety to the citizens immediately. But the safety should not be simply this big mechanical uh, structure up in the sky. It should have meaning for every African, every trader, every business person. And I think this travel document will be quite a huge uh, uh, success. Uh, I think the downsides uh, can, be, can be managed. So thank you. And I think, I think you know, the Africa continental free trade area and its potential described in the way that you just did, Dr. Kabaruka, really is you know, the perfect way to celebrate Africa Day and the original vision of the organization um, of Africa Unity. And your reminder about the importance of non-tariff barriers, of looking at the soft, the so-called soft um, elements um, of infrastructure are, are absolutely right on and um, issues that the MCC will reflect on as we continue to develop our work um, in, in this area. And as you may know, Dr. Kabaruka, we're really pleased that a couple of years ago, MCC um, received the authority to work on what we call concurrent compacts or regional compacts, precisely to be able to leverage the opportunities of regional connectivity and regional trade. And we're working actively on two such regional compacts um, right now. And so your words will help guide us as we continue, as we continue that work. And we're very thankful. 
As our listeners know, MCC works in low-income and low-middle-income countries around the world, but about 75%, 70 to 75% of our portfolio is in Africa. And so we really are delighted, Dr. Kabaruka, that you joined us again on our inaugural podcast to celebrate Africa Day, to reflect on the lessons of the past year, um, but also to look forward about what it will take to once again boost Africa's growth. Thank you very much, Dr. Kabaruka, for being with us. Thank you so much, Alexia. Thanks for what you do at MCC. And thank you for colleagues at MCC for uh, what you have been doing so far and uh, best of luck. Uh, it's a collective uh, enterprise and I look forward to interacting with you in the future. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Dr. Kabaruka. Thank you for listening to On Development. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you prefer. And to learn more about MCC, please visit www.mcc.gov.